And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I am Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris, and I've got a sales pitch for you. First, I got a little treat for y'all tonight. It's a man I knew as White Chocolate. Some might know him as Magic Mike. We're going to see if he still got some magic in that mic. Sorry. That, I'm just recreating my experience of watching this movie next to Alex. It was kind of amazing. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. I, I, I haven't seen a movie with you in a while. And that was... <laughs> This I should good... apologize. I feel like I should apologize. Either, either I should apologize. No, it was contagious. Okay. It was great. Okay. Good. It was great. I just, I, you know, I'm like, it, I mean, it was, it was enthusiasm. It just, it didn't even, you know, it, it, it did not even occur to me that this would not be the, the, the biggest movie of the weekend that it would not just, I was, I, I, I was know. Like, isn't I, that crazy? Yeah. No, I mean, I understand obviously like this is, you know, this is a sequel it arguably not not that the first one was exactly like oh there's all kinds of stuff in it for everybody necessarily like you really kind of have to be you have to want to see male strippers that's like you know you have to be down with that but like <laughs> it was a four percent male audience i've seen people who enjoyed this movie men who enjoyed this movie on twitter calling themselves the four percent which i think is pretty funny <laughs> uh, I'm yeah proudly, i guess that would be the four percent yeah i mean i i i you know i i have not yet paid for this movie i will go see it again i will be part of the four percent um i really really enjoyed it and i've told everybody i know that you know to go check it out but yeah it's it, it was i was i'm surprised i'm, I'm so surprised what do you think i mean what do you think I, I, do you think it was the guys who i mean if if the audience was 96 percent women and the per screen average was only about three thousand dollars per per screen um, which is pretty low for a, for a hugely marketed movie on opening weekend. That's that's very low, I would say. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I'm not I'm not one of those people who can sit here and tell you why people didn't go to a movie, but I can I can only tell you why I'm going to go see it again. Um, and I think it's because, I mean, I think for some people who were turned off by it, I think the men who didn't go just didn't like the idea. I think it felt like a movie for women, and it is, and I don't think it's it's a movie for women at the expense of men. I think the question is, you know, I think it's a similar thing. Do women want to go watch a movie about women who strip for men? I think the politics of that of that analogy aren't quite right, though, because... This movie is conscious of what it means to 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 dance for women and to take off your clothes for women and what women are not getting at the movie specifically from men but also perhaps at least for these characters in their lives for the for the women in the movie for the uh in those characters lives and I I just think a, a movie about 5 female strippers just works in a totally different way. And the thing that's great for me about this movie is that they're not being made fun of the, the women on the receiving end of this, of this pleasure. Um, 
they're not being their desire is not mocked it is taken very seriously uh what it means to dance for women is taken very seriously the dancing is also like this is not true this was not true in the first magic mike i would say i think the problem if i had a problem with that movie and i enjoyed that movie quite a bit um but i enjoyed it in a different way it's a different movie right yeah um i mean i think what its function it what what it i think the second movie has a function i think the first movie is speaking to a, to an entire other way of of entertainment and storytelling. That movie has a each movie has a has a different genre that it sort of fits within. Um, and I don't know. I mean, how, what would you say the first movie's genre is versus the second movie's? I mean, the first movie it's a you know it, the first movie is like a biopic of somebody who's not real. It's like a you know it's mm, a, it's a star mm. is born. It's like about mm-hmm. it's about you know oh, that's really it, like good the Alex yes. Pettifer character and you know and uh, Channing Tatum's character sort of the, you know the, the the you know the the protege who eclipses the mentor and all of that and it feels like it, it it has that structure. But I think also I think the difference and this doesn't this didn't bother me about it, but it's a, it is a it is a difference and it's one of the ways that I feel like Magic Mike XXL talks back to the first one to some extent is that the first one is about the absurdity of male stripping as mm-hmm. just aesthetically, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it kind of, I don't, I, I had, I didn't, I didn't go back and rewatch it which, you know, and I may, I may at some point, but you know, I, so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure like how little of this there is, but I feel like there's not, it, it's just, this is much more about like the, the, this one, this, the second one is much more about what purpose does this actually serve in the lives of people who partake of it as, you know, as consumers of these, of these women who are watching this happen. And I think the first one is like, you can just feel, and not in a derisive way, but you can just feel like there's something like Soderbergh clearly is really enjoying sort of recreating this and faithfully recreating it and not making fun of it. And not, but also like just the way that it's like there's an anthropological element to the way that it's shot. I feel like, yes, yes. This no, one, I mean he uses a lot of wide takes, a lot of long, yeah, long, long takes, wide angles. Um, not a lot of editing in the actual dance and entertainment sequences. Yeah, and this one doubles down on that. I think it's like it feels like they're much lo- even longer in some ways. But yeah, it's like so that that's what I don't know. That's what I feel like the first one is basically, and I think that's I liked that. And I liked a lot of, the, and I thought it looked cool, you know. And I'm actually like, I, we were we were joking about this at the night the night of the thing, but like, I am I was actually a fan of Cody Horn, who's the I was too. I really like her in that first the movie. Hollywood scion who plays the love interest in this movie. And to my knowledge, I've not seen her in anything ever since. But I thought she was good. I thought she was, uh, you know, she she did a good job in this in this context. I love well, her skepticism good. was. I mean, she was skeptical of the job, and yes. of Channing Tatum. And uh, and the, his his object, the object he set for himself, or the movie sets for that character, is to seduce her um, in a corny way. But she's so she her skepticism is so I don't know. It's just for, it's a very specific type of woman who who these parts tend to go to, and she's not like that. And she fits into this other model of of I mean, for lack of a better term, love interest. Um, and I really, I really liked her in that movie quite a lot. She's yeah. not a great actress or anything, but, but she's you needed, got something. Yeah, you wanted it to. It needed to be someone who 
did not have like it, it, there's something some, that movie is diminished if it's Minka Kelly or something like mm-hmm. that. Oh, where it's great just point. like somebody yes. who's like it's just it, it's almost like she's like you need her. It's not a Mary Sue, but like you, she is your she is you in that scenario. If you're skeptical about male stripping, you know, well, if you not, sort of think yes. it's silly and like it's it's about like yes, it is silly, but there's something like you know that like. You, you you need to see it through her eyes, and I think somehow if it's like if it's just two attractive people kind of pretending they don't like each other and then pretending they do, it's like you just kind of like it doesn't work as well for some reason. Right. Um. So this movie, alternatively, <laughs> is about the. I mean, it is it is a is a complete embodiment of those questions from the first movie and of that skepticism. It it takes the skepticism and and just rings all of the all of the question marks out and replaces the like and then dunks it in a in a in a bucket of exclamation points. And you don't need to have. I mean, there's just no room to doubt that this is a pleasurable thing and that people get a lot of entertainment out of it and that the people who perform the, for these women are talented and committed and straight. I don't know why that's so important to me, but it is important because I felt like the first movie was like, it could have gone either way, right? Like there was a, there's a degree to which you don't believe these guys are straight. Um, or some of them are like, I just didn't believe that the Matt Boomer character was not also in love with Mike. I mean, he could be, and still be like bisexual or whatever, but I felt like there was a weird in the first movie. I felt like there was not a weird homoeroticism, but an unacknowledged untapped unconsummated homoeroticism that I don't think is true in this movie. I think this movie really is about the pleasure that straight guys get from pleasing women. And that's a much different dynamic because it removes a lot of the other ancillary qualities that a movie like this would, would otherwise have, like campiness. And, and I guess it, it, could be, it could be kitsch. I need to see it again. I didn't feel that as I watched it because I was feeling something. And I was feeling what the movie was giving me as opposed to what I was judging it with do you know what i mean oh yeah um, no, i mean this movie they they there's a metaphorical throwing out of a lot of that kitsch stuff that happens in the context of the movie right there's an in-story explanation for why that kitsch goes out the window and why they sort of seek out these like layer you know these levels of like authenticity they recreate you know recreating their acts from their own personalities and throwing out like the fireman outfits you know there's that thing right. like, say yeah say it with me like i am not a fireman you know, and so like, well, they, like, and that's what the yes. first one is all like umbrellas and like outfits, and it's very kind of it's that weird sort of you know constructed thing where it's like we're gonna do we're gonna create a male version of this thing that like it's guys drag like. queen culture given mm-hmm. like it it's like drag it's been it's made safe for everybody that first Magic Mike movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is it's all it's not quite in quotation marks, but it is in quotation marks. It's like. What is what is the what is the iconography that we can make everybody feel comfortable with this dancing? Yeah, and we'll all laugh. And, and it's, I, yeah, and right. I think like and it, it's raining men. I mean, yes. it's like yeah, it's all from gay culture. In this movie, it's it's not from it's from not it's it's from it's from like mainstream. I can't say straight culture, but I mean just popular culture. And well, that's a different thing. Yeah, well, it's like this weird sort of hero's journey through these different kind of worlds of 
of dance. <laughs> it's really yeah, like, I like that you say it that way because I also thought of Homer. Like, oh, it's totally that. No, I mean, there's a meeting with the goddess. Like, there's all the kind of like the, you, jo- you can Joseph Campbell this one completely, except that there's no there's no real tension. There's nothing to defeat. There's no like they ultimate everything kind of goes well, which is the only problem with that. But like basically, it's like you know. But they have this thing. Like I think that when they go to that drag show, that sort of roadside drag mm-hmm. show early mm-hmm. in the movie, I think that really kind of lays down a gauntlet about what kind of movie this is going to be which is that it's or, not what or go ahead i mean i was going to say that it can't be either what do you mean it can't oh that it can't be yeah right. no no you're right you're, you're like it's both it's like it's it, it's telling you like where it's going like there's just something about like there's no there's no remove like they're you know like they're going to worry about their straightness or anything like that they're just going to get up there and vogue like hell you know like just vogue hard. right and like, but did just, you watch that sequence thinking like, wow, these guys do not th- – these are not passable homosexuals in, in, a, in a gay nightclub context? Because they have two gay guys who were actually voguing who were amazing. Sure. But it's and almost, nobody on stage is that good. Of course not. But it's like it's their level of it's their level of commitment to this thing. It's that they're not like it's, – it's not like one of those like – you know, there's just there's another version of this movie where it's like, oh, dudes, the van broke down, and how are we gonna get seven hundred dollars? You know, record scratch, <laughs> the drag ball flyer blows across the parking lot and hits Channing Tatum in the head, and he's like, nuh-uh, no way. Like, Manginello's not into it, and then they start talking into it, you know, like all of that, and then they have to do it, and it's funny, and it's you know whatever. Yes, like that's a yes, movie. That's yes, movies. That's yes. every movie. Kinky Boots Three. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, we gotta do we gotta do this gay thing, but we have to show everybody that we're really uptight about it, and then we make it happen anyway. And like the you know some drag queen, and then it's actually what it is is actually no big deal. Like they do this all the time, and it's not with a it doesn't have, serves no purpose. You right. know, it's no, just kind of there's just no kinda like hanging out there. It's like that's you right. know, it's just very They're it, exhibitionists. Yes. you know what I mean. Like period, and the idea of taking off their clothes for anybody is appealing, but. <laughs> They don't do a sexy dance for men in this movie. Uh, all the sexy dancing is done for women. And all the sexy entertainment is done for women. And I thought that scene... It's funny that you point that scene out because I also think it's really important to, to set a tone for what this movie won't be. Because who wins the contest in that sequence? Uh, <laughs> it's Gabriel it's Fluffy. It's Fluffy, right. man. Like, uh, yeah. Fluffy wins. The, the, the answers don't win the, the best drag queen or best, you know, best Vogue dance uh, uh, trophy or whatever. They're not crowned at the end of that. It's Fluffy, who actually was the best. Um, and so, I don't know. I just... It's about who gives just, the most. It's not about, like, who's, who's just up there. It's not Top Gun, you know? It's about who's sort of just, like, right. the most, you know just puts the most out there they just enjoyed it but the thing about this movie that like blew me away was the thing it was just like it basically is four one two three i think it's three big set pieces right yeah there's the first thing jada pinkett's uh strip house the second one is uh annie mcdowell's house and the third one is at Elizabeth Banks' house, for, for lack of a better... I mean, at a stripper convention that is basically belongs to Elizabeth Banks. Right. There is a, a threshold guardian at each of these right. places. Right. And each one of these sequences goes on for, like, anywhere from 20 minutes to 45 minutes. Or 40 minutes. 
and or maybe less it just feels like much longer and they're shot gregory jacobs is the director he was the assistant director on a number of soderbergh movies soderbergh shot this movie he did not direct it officially um and there's such a seriousness with which that that first big sequence at at the at jada pinkett smith's house of awesome takes place and it is it is just phenomenal like the the level of attention to how to shoot the black faces and it's 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 mostly black women it's all black women it appears to be and the dancers are all black jada pinkett smith is the proprietress of 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 the of the place and she operates the whole thing. That's the first clip that we played at uh, the top of this segment. And it's just astonishing. I mean, what, this, what that sequence for me is showing you is what might have been missing from that first movie and what Channing Tatum is trying to... He doesn't know what he's going to see when he goes to, to Jada Pinkett Smith's house. He needs her to do something else, which is replace Matthew McConaughey, who is not in this movie. Um, when they go to the to the big stripper convention, um, but it's the the thing they see in that house is the thing that Mike is trying to get them to do, which is like to just dance from your soul. Yeah, which is ultimately yeah, which is which is what happens. It, it, I mean, it, I don't. I mean, we're, we're they're smiling. not as good. <laughs> That's what goes on in that house. No. But there's something, yeah, exa- exactly. But there's something about it's dancing from your soul, but it's also sort of it's also thinking about, you know, there, there's a degree of interaction with the audience in that room mm-hmm, that's happening. Mm-hmm, there's a way. There's mm-hmm, a there's a mm-hmm. sort of porousness to the border between the performer and you know the the audience. As you know, it's it, it, like you're, you're not just it's not just like someone on a stage and someone standing below throwing yes. dollar bills or something. There's a there's a level of intimacy achieved there uh which is really remarkable (laughs) and you don't yeah so hot well yeah and it's a long takes are hotter like that's one thing it's like there's not there's just not like you just really feel you know like you you know that i mean like soderbergh is great soderbergh is great at shooting and like it's he shot and edited both he did both yeah and like it just has that there's something about it like you know where you're just sort of hanging out and you're just kind of seeing people interacting and they're not you know they're, they're not cutting away from it to sort of make you you know cutting the faces and make you more excited or anything like that or you know whatever it is like it's just sort of it you're just kind of watching this thing unfold and you become sort of part you know part of this world in a weirdly sort of more intimate way like it's pretty cool like to see that happen just because you're not experienced you know you're not i I wasn't expecting it i didn't know what i was expecting from this movie but they keep doing it over and over again too i mean each sequence is basically the same it's a different setup but i mean it's a it's the same physical strictly the same formal strategy which is to use as many single long wide takes as you can and for the connection i mean because i think that they somebody understands i mean soderbergh and gregor jacobs understand that like the connection between the the performer and the performed upon is not dissimilar from the connection between the audience and the movie and you have to sustain this level of, of, of credibility and belief in order for both the eroticism to take hold in the audience and for you to believe that the people you're watching do what they're doing are actually doing it. And 
it's just the illusion. I mean, there's no illusion. The only illusion is, is the person dancing for me hot for me? It doesn't matter because I am totally hot for this person. And to a man, every single person who dances in this movie got that out of me or even speaks the sequence in the second sequence of Annie McDowell's house. There's no dancing. Yeah. Like that's an amazing scene within the context of the magic Mike movies. Cause it's like, let's have almost, it's almost a conversation more than anything right. else. Yes. I mean, there is some sort there is some unzipping and some sort of like, let's see the goods, but like not really, it's mostly just listening to these people talk. And like all of a sudden you're just, you know, and the intimacy there is that you're just you're here you're eavesdropping on a kind of you know t- increasingly tipsy conversation among these these women who have suddenly like the presence of the magic Mike guys they're not the magic you know you know what I'm talking about the presence of these strippers yes. like sort of has emboldened them to talk about it I mean I thought weird that I wrote down like it's so inappropriate given the context but there is something about I wrote down children's party entertainers where it's like <laughs> this is a movie about these guys kind of spreading smiles and magic wherever they go it's yeah. like they are literally yeah. magic yes They're, yes like yes. they are and they are like and it's like it's just weird it's weird and cool and different to see men cast in that way by a movie mm-hmm. you know that they're mm-hmm. actually sort of like they're they're these like you know <laughs> these people who are creating the, the you know sort of a, a magical environment you know i can't really say like you know i i'm getting I, i'm not explaining this exactly right but I, I think you know what i'm saying basically that like there's it's not about like i'm gonna go in and take charge and do a thing it's more that like, no you know, I'm, I'm gonna please and satisfy yeah it's like they're sort of you know like they're gonna just like you know what do you want like what do you want to do and like i'm just gonna give you an excuse to do that by my presence you know i'm gonna sort of like i'm gonna open this i'm gonna just by being here like and that's what i think yeah. is going on in that mcdowell scene is you know which yeah is great. it's great and it, it also feels i mean in the context of soderbergh in the context say, yeah, of soderbergh yeah, yeah. it feels like like the sex lies and videotape answer sequence except yeah except that's such a dark sort of messed up movie where it's like you can really sort of go to a you know dangerous place with like weird james spader whereas like this kind of like you know this this talks back to that movie too in a weird yes. way yes was you that know? the movie you were thinking about or were you oh yeah no totally because it's the you know it's like i don't like I, has has have they reunited at all Soderbergh and McDowell since then? Was she no, in full I don't frontal? think they worked together. I forget since then. who's in. Full uh, frontal. She might be. She might be in full frontal. That's why God, I was who I've isn't been... in that. I think I'm in full frontal. Exactly. So I can't. I can't say that she's not. I but this is the first am. time she's worked prominently with him. Since yeah, exercising. in a movie that yeah people saw. Um, anyway, I have a question for you. Okay, because what is it about men dancing that's so hot? Like, I mean, or that, like, can be hot when it works. Like, I was thinking, watching this movie, I was thinking about other times, like, why it's different for, maybe you feel differently. Maybe you don't see Gene Kelly and get excited. And I don't mean sexually excited. I mean, just, like, you don't, you don't see Gene Kelly and, like, have this thing happen in your heart where you're just like, oh, my God, this guy, just the only way he can live is to, is to, like, dance with that umbrella in the, in the, in the puddles. Um... I don't know. Maybe you see Sid Charisse or or you know Ann Miller <laughs> all the time, and you have and you have the same you have the same reaction. But I think there's something about what it means for a man to dance that's different in the vulnerability and risk departments. That's different from what it means for a woman to dance. And it's not to say that a woman's dancing isn't sexy, because oh my God, Ann Miller not a sexy woman, but when she danced, holy effing shit. Like, and so, or when like, you know, Sid Charisse entwines herself on Fred, like, you know, around Fred Astaire, it's, 
it's an amazing thing. But Sid Charisse, with the respect, well, I'll do respect to Ann Miller, mm, sexy lady. Um, there's, but there's a difference though, because I feel like when women dance in movies, it's for it's for men, and when I mean it's not different, it's the same thing. But when men dance for women, it's it's for women in a different way than it's than it's for than women dancing in a movie is for men. And I'm thinking about Travolta. I didn't do a very good case, uh, didn't make a very good case for explicating the difference between those two things. But in some ways, I feel like the women in a women who dance in musicals and in movies in general are objectified. I'm thinking about like, you know, obviously showgirls and flash dance. And I mean, flash dance, you, one could argue that she is, it's her story. She's the protagonist, but she's not a human being until she dances. And the way in which she dances is for, in, in a way that is fantastical and, um, you know, for fantasy um, and that's different from the way Travolta functions, say in, in Saturday Night Fever, or God forbid, Staying Alive. Um, which have you seen, by the way? Yeah, yeah. There was a period <laughs> where it was on like VH1 Classic or something all the time. So I've seen, I've um, definitely seen it because it's a, you know. But do you know what I mean? There well, is a yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of things. I feel like Saturday Night Fever is something where it's like they are masculinizing something that's traditionally seen as feminine right like mm-hmm. they're making this sort of like these guys are you know th- th- these guys are alpha males or gay they're, right yeah or exactly well, yeah feminine or gay that's what, like exactly just non they're taking something like they're making something part of being macho that was not traditionally part of being macho before but these are macho guys these are homophobes like they're sort of like these are like that's a weird movie actually when you watch it like that's you know yeah. that's and that's the difference that you're actually if you watch that movie the main takeaway from that movie is like these guys are assholes kind of like it, you get there yeah like, yeah for sure and like it's sort of it's like that which is you know which is interesting and i don't think that movie's dishonest about it i don't think they're sort of they're presenting you with this and telling you it's something else but i think that's what's going on in Saturday Night Fever and like I don't think I like I guess that's sort of what's happening here but it seems so much more benign somehow because it's as if like by virtue of being in the position that they are with regard to women like they are somehow more enlightened you know and I don't know that I got that from the first one necessarily no, I, don't I mean know that I felt that I, the only the other one. thing that I can think of is I mean I'm thinking more about like for for what you just said which yeah. is really right uh Grease Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. Things dirty where, dancing is very this is yeah there's a lot of dirty dancing in this i think that's like you know where the woman is where the woman's fantasy is to be part of the dance in a way but where the man is where the man has all the control and the control is not control over the woman it's control over himself it's control over his body and his ability to like express himself and to dance in a way that feels like a release from what you would look at Patrick Swayze and say, well, Patrick Swayze is clearly a construction worker or, or a bouncer. Uh, he, he, he shouldn't be able to dance so sexily and with such confidence. And yet here he is. And this, that was, that was Travolta's thing too. Um, I mean, and that was also, I guess in a different way. I mean, Gene Kelly, if you, if you don't see him dancing and you just, I mean, he's very handsome, but he has a very kind of, um, there's just nothing pretty about him. I mean, you really could cast him as a cab driver or, or he could have played Marlon Brando's character in On the Waterfront. I mean, he's not Marlon Brando as an actor, 
But I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he comes from a very clear line of like ethnic uh, or like, you know, demonstrably ethnic men who during the periods of time in which they were most famous would probably have been cast as someone other than, you know, great dancers. And I mean, in Fred Astaire, I mean, he was, you would never look at him and think, oh yeah, that's a, that guy's got a, got a pretty glide across the screen. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's, there's a way in which the idea of what we think of, how we think of beauty and how we think of beautiful movement and how we think of gracefulness and, 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 and eloquence are kind of turned upside down too. When you look at, I mean, the dancing in Magic Mike XXL is not, I would say, it's exotic. It's not elegant. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of humping, and there's a you know, it's it's right. like it's it's, right. it's Gene Gene Kelly would not he wouldn't be caught dead doing anything in this movie. No, I mean, there's still like there's a ridiculousness to what they're doing and it's they're, they're like especially when you get to the stripper convention and like they're kind of right. you know they're they're sort of like this is who i am kind of psychodrama things <laughs> but like but I'm, what about that channing tatum part like though oh. i thought that was i thought that was great that was amazing with the, yeah with the, the all the closer stuff and the, the or the, the 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 mirror thing yes yeah. i mean tatum is interesting too i wrote about this when i was writing about uh mark Wahlberg last week um sort of comparing the the two of them and like he's mm-hmm. I, it's he's we have i don't i can't really i mean i'm sure there are examples but like there aren't a lot of people like that it's sort of a lot of actors like that right now who can who can who can do that there's something about him i was basically talking about Wahlberg and how like sort of Wahlberg has gradually he started out as this sort of sex object and like if you watch those like those uh calvin klein commercials like he's very objectified it's a very you're you're being they've taken a man and put a man in a place where like normally there will be a woman you know like you're sort of looking mm-hmm. you're invited to look at him and sort and he's kind of shy and he's like oh i don't know like you know whatever it's a you know weird like fantasy scenario and like he's gradually sort of like that has kind of gone away from Wahlberg. like he's kind of he's not doesn't doesn't he's no he's gotten i'm more uncomfortable with him yeah as a as a person who knows who he is and where he's come from versus channing tatum who i feel like i mean talk about psychodrama the idea that he and steven boss are two two sides of the same coin basically yeah steven boss is the is the guy is a guy is the, you know the choreographer who dances in this movie and dances in data pinkett smith's club and is just electrifying he and michael michael strahan and then donald glover are three different kinds of of male entertainer and i i mean that is part of the brilliance of that sequence too is that it, there are three stages of of orgasmic ecstasy if you're prone to one or all three of those guys um, or prone to enjoy one or all three of those guys. Um, But the idea that Channing Tatum would choose as his act to share it with Stephen boss as there being two sides of the same man, basically it's just, that is just, just amazing. Well, you can't imagine who else would do that. Who else would do that? Who exactly? That's what I'm saying. Like without like, you know, somehow it's it's like there's something about i mean you know channing tatum did this professionally for a little while you know he 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 stripped right he did that that was a thing yes and like he comes from that he comes from that background and so like has sort of understands what it is and what it isn't but there's something that you can't imagine 
most other actors like being in that position because then it would it like somehow and I don't know why this is necessarily and why it doesn't happen in this scene except that like Channing Tatum's not worried about it and nobody's worried about it so it doesn't happen but like it, it would just become about the two guys and their mm-hmm. discomfort and their sort of like any think of anyone in that scenario like who you know how do you make it how do you make it fit I mean this just made me sort of I walked away from it like really impressed with Channing Tatum and like you know as an actor just in his sort of like willingness to go there and like, you know, yeah, of course it's no big deal, but like, you know, like w- can you imagine Mark Wahlberg in that scenario and having it not be mm-hmm. having that moment, not because no, about- he's going the opposite direction. Yeah. Actually, as we discussed last week. Yeah. And if you've seen the ad for Wahlberg, Wahlbergers, like where he's like basically turned himself into some weird, leave it to beaver kind of, I mean, I know it's supposed to be a joke, but uh, it's a weird joke coming from from that family. It's just yeah. it's just weird. Anyway, we'll be right back to say two minutes worth of craziness about Terminator Genesis. Why are they always trying to kill you? I want to help you. I do. I think. But I, I, I got to understand. I know what's going on here. It has to be really, really complicated. We're here to stop the end of the world. I can work with that. Did you enjoy this, Alex? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> I was so nervous because no. we had talked about it before and you were like, eh, look, I'm open. I This is my feeling about this. I everything I heard about it when people were complaining, oh, there's too much. It's all about Terminator continuity and people jumping around within the Terminator story and all that stuff. That did not sound bad to me. Automatically, it did not sound a priori bad or whatever you want to say. Like, I, I, but I, it was I, the execution was oh terrible. Boy. It was the oh execution boy. just really just bummed me out. I liked that. I liked the idea of that though. I liked the idea of. Let's embrace the weirdness of these movies, like, and really kind of, I don't know, look, it made me sort of, it made me feel like, you know, Damon Lindelof gets a lot of for a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's deserved and sometimes it's not, but he's sort of synonymous with a certain thing. Uh, this made me wish that he had written this movie because I think actually, like, there's, you know, there's a way to do this. If you wanted to really do a crazy time travel movie, like, let's embrace the craziness, you know, like let's bring in let's bring in Claire Danes. You know, like just mm-hmm. really go there. Like let's really oh, kind of like point. let's don't be like yeah we're just making a sequel to the second one. We're gonna pretend, you know, that everything else. Let's bring in oh, Shirley I see Manson. What you're saying, yeah, yeah, make yeah. it actually like let's let's treat it all like you know. I mean, look, I've like currently whole hog it whole hog it like you know i think like the example that i'm going to cite it's a weird example but it's not and it's so it's me just harping on one of my you know dead horses now that i'm beating but like if you watch the tv show hannibal tv show hannibal is not just about manhunter and silence of the lambs tv show hannibal uh takes all the whole hannibal mythos the weird like hannibal rising weird stuff from the uh the one the, the ridley scott one there's a lot of stuff from that, like the Gary Oldman character from Red Dragon. Well, no, that's that's Brett Ratner. The Ridley Red... Scott one oh, is Hannibal. Oh, sorry. There's Hannibal a, Ward, it's, sorry. The Ridley Scott one is the – Red Dragon is the prequel technically it's, or it comes before. Oh, my God. I didn't realize this is just as confusing. It is just as confusing. <laughs> but my point is that like the Brian Fuller is, is creating Hannibal out of the entire Hannibal 
Lecter mythos. Every he's using all the pieces to do something really interesting with and like it's 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 basically the show is so doomed it's over it's like amazon's not picking it up it's dead but really yeah and i mean and they're going you out you got me watching it i'm I in i know this season is great this whole season has been like the bad dreams that you have after watching too much hannibal like that they've just made that the show which is great mm. so you've got this whole mythology and they're really sort of crawling inside it and doing weird things with it and kind of like making it go place and like reconnecting things that didn't connect before and everything this just feels like with the terminator it feels like we can't we 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 know we can't go too far outside what exists already but we also can't we have to kind of make it new in some way and so it just feels like there's like a real kind of like just soul deadening thing where you're like oh you realize that it's got you know they can't fall in love but they will fall in love there's just i don't know it just Ugh. feels like you're not using like you have this really cool thing you know because it is it's a cool mythology like this and it actually yeah i guess i just i guess maybe what i'm saying is i rejected yeah. I, I rejected i mean unless it was going to do what you're suggesting i'm left to ask because i don't have much of an imagination i guess <laughs> like why would why bring this back why do it again when the previous two installments were just really embarrassing why would you what did what do you if you're not going to do something crazy like what you're suggesting why bother and oh, I so I, I just didn't I didn't even get to the point where like, wow, somebody should have called Damon, Damon Lindelof because he could have he could have really spruced this thing up. Um, I just asked. I just wonder whether or not somebody did call him and he was like, uh, I'm going to pass. Yeah, possibly. I mean, who knows? I'm not. I'm. I'm uh, yeah. I mean, that's not the I don't think that that's necessarily. No, the we're one just speculating. Book. But yeah, right. It's, <sighs> but I'm just saying like that's a really good for example that you present. Yeah, it doubles down on all of the things, the thing, things that were. I mean, look, there's something miraculous about when you watch Terminator 2. There's something miraculous about the Edward Furlong Arnold relationship not being corny or silly mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. it's funny mm-hmm. but it's definitely within the context of a rated r movie that's violent you know yes. and like that there's some, there's somehow like it's tinged with you know that this guy's going to become the leader of this revolution and he's going to see a lot of hell and everything and like so it's like you know but then it's like it makes sense that like he's a little teenage malcontent you know like he's bart simpson and he's teaching the kid you know the terminator to say you know basically like you it's all you would do if you had a terminator by the way you just teach it to say curse words you know yeah of course yeah yeah so like that makes that makes sense but this like with the doubling and tripling down on like uh, on the niceness of arnold as the terminator like i with making him smile and be like kind of a dad figure and sort of tell jokes like be the only one who has funny lines in the whole thing it's just it's just i'm like i just no no it's not that i'm not okay with that it's like there's one you get one glimpse of the old the you know 1984 original terminator version of arnold and like that's just they throw that away i feel like for no reason yeah, no. also why don't they have to go back and get that terminator and keep them isn't that the whole oh my point god you are asking so like here's no, my you question you can't leave any terminator parts in the world <laughs> it's like camping you have to take it you have to pack you it out put up the whole fire or else yeah, they will make terminators out of it and right. yet we're just you know i mean it's like that's then and yet skynet happened i mean like that's the thing it's like this is just it's not you need someone who's actually going to invest in the time travel craziness of it all and the alternate timelineness of it all. And you almost want like the primer with Terminators that like we're not getting 
in this is just it just feels like you know just an excuse to it feels like the ride it feels like terminator the ride and like you get to you know come along with that no also amelia clark's too short She's also too terrible. Uh, <laughs> she's very bad. They're all bad. Jason yeah. Clark, Amelia Clark, Jason Clark, Jay got, Courtney. Yeah, who just kind of just keeps getting. Jason Clark just keeps getting. I mean, I guess if you're Jason Clark, you don't say no to something like that. But I, yeah, I just feel like that is not a guy who can do better. Well, just, I just sure. don't know. Were there no American actors available? Not that it really matters, but the accents. I mean, whatever. I, it's 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 a really badly cast movie, and I think I could have gotten a lot farther with it than I did with these people. Um, it, it just it's an embarrassment. I'm sorry that it happened, and I feel really bad for the studio that made. It. <laughs> I rarely feel bad for executives, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry that you got tricked into into doing that one. I'm I can't be mad at you, but. Oops. Anyway, my sales pitch for you, Alex, is for Beats One Radio. This is Zane Lowell, Beats One. We got the whole world locked in for this one. Brand new Pharrell. First name is Go ahead with the go ahead with the sales pitch. I have a I can explain to you why I've not I I have sort of emotional philosophical reasons and also logistical reasons why I've not. Okay. I'm out. with you on probably all of those things. I will just say before I ask you to make your case, but before I ask you to lay out your your philosophical and and logistical objections to there, I mean, they're excuses more than their objections. But go ahead. <laughs> First of all, I was with Taylor Swift and and her objection to not being paid. Uh, and the artists, you know, she spoke on behalf of all artists not being paid for the testing out of, of that of the service and um you know my philosophical objection or maybe my moral objection to it is along those lines i i i do i don't exactly know what the business model is in relation to what artists get from being played on something like beats one but i'm going to naively assume without having done any journalism uh, that it's somewhat analogous to the way artists are compensated for their songs being played on the radio. Uh, and at which point we will now get 10,000 tweets saying, that's not true! If you so, know anything about how what Taylor Swift was upset about, you would also know that, that XYZ. Yes, Bob, um, Bob Lefsetz is sending us an angry <laughs> email about uh, mechanical royalties and how that works. So thanks, Bob. Right. I mean, it is it is very interesting. I do find all of that fascinating, and that is part of the reason I've been avoiding this whole universe. Uh, I am not going to sit here and pound my desk and say things like vinyl and cassette and CD, but I do think that those were models that made sense to everybody. Both the consumer and the the gatekeepers, um, and I think that what's happening now, in a lot of ways, is that different artists are finding ways, recognizing that that model is 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 pretty much it's it's not dead, but it's very close to death, um, relative to how good things used to be, anyway that there are other ways to get your music to the people and get yourself paid. Um, you know, live shows are obviously really important, but setting aside the moral problem of what it means to have something like beats one, um, 
I just really enjoy listening to it. And I've realized and my, my, my initial fear was, okay, this is, this is Apple um, through a set of headphones that I think are actually super overrated. They're marketing more than they are good quality headphones. At this point, we should ask Joe, our engineer, to, to chime in if he disagrees with my assessment of, of Beats headphones, but I don't like them. Um, and I just, I have figured out a way to make this part of my, my radio diet. I've decided that I'm going to make KCRW, WXPN and Beats One, my radio, like my dial, right? Cause when I was a kid, I had five stations I listened to and I listened to them somewhat religiously. I would tune the dial whenever there was a commercial on or a song I didn't like. And I'd go back to the other to the other stations and I would do that for hours a day while I played Nintendo <laughs> in my room. Um, or I'd go for a walk around my campus, uh, in, in school, um, in high school and middle school and stuff. I'd have, my mom got me a Walkman and I listened to the radio on that. Um, this is sort of the same thing. It's really charming. You hear stuff, you hear, you hear stuff you wouldn't hear on the iHeartRadio app, which I don't actually, I don't mind, but that's not probably not what I'm listening to the radio now for. Um, and but you also do get things that sh- that, that would show up on iHeartRadio. There are your uh, Demi Lovato's and we know whatever your song of the summer is, it's probably being played on 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 Beats app on <laughs> Beats One. And I don't know. There's no objection you could possibly have to it beyond the money. Um, and maybe you, your preference for the logistical problem I'm assuming is that you, there's no way for you to listen to it in your car. Well, no, there is. It's more that I am, I am reluctant and this is, you know, this is an Apple problem. It's one of those things you can't even really complain about these things because it's like, anytime you complain about Apple, it's like that, that, that Simpsons where Homer is, uh, gets the flaming Moe taken away from him and Moe's tavern becomes this like a uh, bustling hive of activity and Homer's like, you just lost a customer. And Mo keeps hitting the cash register button and just rings and rings and keeps drowning him out. He's like, I can't hear you, Homer. I can't what, over the sound of this cash register. Like that's how I feel when I have an issue with an Apple thing. You know, I was I was I was talking to Chris Ryan about this because Chris Ryan wrote about it for Grantland. And yeah, he like, and Juliet did a really like enthusiastic. Yeah, their first uh, experience, and it did it made yeah. it sound cool, made it sound interesting. I, I I guess I'm I'm suspicious of all attempts to and this is what this feels like to me and maybe it's not fair but I think part of it is the the involvement of Zane Lowe makes me feel this way a little bit I'm suspicious fair. that's no this is fair no, well it's not, yeah fair. well I'm going someplace with it uh, is that I'm suspicious of all attempts to much as I I love British people and think that they're cool I'm suspicious of or in, in general I'm suspicious of attempts to import. British music culture into American music culture and kind of imagine mm-hmm. that those mm-hmm. things are scalable, as they say in the uh, mm-hmm. tech world, that they can just bring that over. It's one of the, like, be, it reminds me, it, it's a very BBC kind of model where it's like you will have a slightly hipper music selection on your radio. And uh, also, I don't understand how the various BBCs work, so please, nobody. To educate me about that this is my vision this is my imagination of what radio is like there's something about that 
No, there's something about that sort of that that you know British uh, radio culture that uh, you know this dude comes out of that is you know it's a it's a smaller land to to fill to reach and there's something about it like I don't know that I I guess it's like I'm, I'm explaining this badly but. I, no, I'm, I think I'm just, with you. I'm I'm listening to you as you feel yourself. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling it out a little bit. So it's there's there, there's something like that because I feel I feel like it's you know it's it's Anglophilia in a in a Trojan horse of of, of mm-hmm. some kind. Mm-hmm. And I guess I don't know. I like the problem that I have has never been I don't know what to listen to, you know, and I need someone to program for me. And like I do, I I do like. You know, I like I like the thing on Spotify where you can see what people are listening to at that moment, like that you actually know that sort of social media feed thing on Spotify where you can kind of creep on what people are listening to. I really enjoy that. I enjoy when it's like, you know, when it's the thing that you know that person will be listening to all the time. You're like, oh, yeah, of course that guy's listening to Riders on the Storm. Like, totally, that's that dude. That's that dude. He's still him, man. It's still Alan, you know? Like, it's just like that. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy looking at people's public playlists on there. I yeah. don't necessarily – I guess I don't need – like, th- like the problem I was having was not – with music was not like, oh, I need more uh, gatekeepers and personalities kind of in between me and the music. I can't deal with all of this music. I need some celebrities to tell me which things are happening and which are not. You know, that said, like, I love the idea that it's Josh Hom from the Queens of the Stone Age band has a station of his own, has a radio station of his own. Because I was actually I've been thinking about, like, why why is Bob Dylan, aside from the obvious explanation, which is he's Bob Dylan and no one else is like, why does Bob Dylan have theme time radio hour? And there's not like Greg Dooley's theme time radio hour. You know, oh, I love Greg Dooley. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, okay, I, yeah, no, I mean, wait. Dooley okay, has really good go tour playlists on Spotify, and I was like, I would listen to the Greg Dooley theme time radio hour where Greg Dooley talked in between, and like, you know, it's like I just there are certain people. So, you know, I know that things launch, and you have to have you know these things are always kind of you know positional and politicized as to like who's who's got a show first. I assume, but yeah, I don't know. I just I I think that's the like. That being, I'm sure that that will not ruin it for me, like if and when, and it's probably, it's a when, not an if, like I check this out, but I guess the, the personalization of that is just, I'm not, I'm like, that's not, that being the, the tout, that being the sales pitch, at least in the, fir- the, in the beginning, it's just, that doesn't make me excited. Like what makes me excited would be, you know, the comprehensiveness of catalog and like being able to, you know, do stuff with it because like that's been... Ever since the first iTunes came out, my experience has been about – of these things, of digital music, it's – playlist was the thing and like making my own playlist and sort of arranging stuff in my own way was like the thing that made me excited about it. And I assume they have not gone back and made it easy again to make playlists in iTunes. They have not gone back and fixed the things that are wrong with iTunes. I feel like this is a thing designed to sort of phase iTunes out of entirely, like that thing where you had any control over it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I do not enjoy the the iTunes interface. I'm with you. Um, I do find the the stations confusing. Um, I, here's the thing about the about the iTunes interface that I do like, which is it places a premium on the album covers. But beyond that, um, it's a little bit. It feels. Um, I'm sure there's a, there's a design term for how this. 
uh, interface makes me feel, but it def, but it, but it, I feel, tr- I feel locked out of it, or, or, or um, like I can't quite get in. It's too surface, mm-hmm. and you don't get a sense of the depth. Like if you've got, you know, two thousand albums, uh, you're gonna, it's just gonna, it's just gonna feel weird. It's, it's awkward trying to get in there, even though it, they make it really easy to do it. Whereas on the phone, on a phone, it's fine, but I. I I'm a little like so so far you you mentioned Josh Home, you mentioned uh you did not mention St. Vincent, um Pharrell, Jaden Smith, Disclosure, I think Drake, um, and Elton John are all people who are also all famous people who will have um or music artists, I'm sorry, uh who'll have shows on on on, on Beats One. Um I'm sure I mean, in some ways, I'm. Do you remember the thing that was really cool about iTunes when it first launched, which were celebrity playlists, and they weren't necessarily cool because the music was cool, but it was like, hey, Jennifer Garner likes some music, and here's what she likes, and ha, <laughs> Jennifer Garner's so lame. This is what she likes. There was always yeah, it was both those things were fun about it. It's like let's see, and then like ah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly, lame. exactly, <laughs> and. I think that there's something similar to this. Like, yeah, I would love to hear how Trent Reznor would program an hour of music. It's not a long, it's not dissimilar from what someone like um, Henry Rollins does on KCRW for many hours at a time. Um, And he's got a personality and he's got his, you know, his thing, his taste. Um, And I don't know, I'm figuring this out still, but I just am bringing this to you as a, as a, as a, preliminary endorsement at least for your own curiosity and i think when you if you do what i do and you kind of treat it like it doesn't work exactly the same way obviously because jumping between the 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 radio apps is not quite the same not exactly the same as tuning a radio to different stations but it's not so dissimilar that it's not comparable and i really like that experience i love hearing i mean there's music the way the way this was this was also true when I was a kid, um, or when I was a teenager listening to records or, or music on the radio. They're just you would hear things that you wouldn't otherwise hear. I would never have heard uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" if I weren't listening to the radio, or "You Ought to Know" because I was listening to the radio, or because I wasn't listening to the radio. Um, I also wonder, and I'm curious if how you whether you have a theory or like a prediction about this but i wonder what it will do to videos i don't i wonder if it'll like bring some primacy back to the music video too or if they're just gonna live in separate places yeah well i mean that's what title that's the big thing that title has that other people don't have right or that's the thing that's the idea of title is that it's going to give you this exclusive video content that whether you want it or not or you know like whether you want whether that's compelling to you or not depends on your taste but so that's the problem with title, though, right? It's that you are being force-fed in a different way. Like, like title is... <laughs> I mean, this is terrible, but, like, it's kind of like they think they're making foie gras by force-feeding you all this stuff. And I think Beats 1 is a lot more democratic in terms of how it works than 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 Jay-Z's title. I think there's a kind of defensiveness defensiveness to title that i that i get if you're a madonna or i think alicia keys is part of that network you know any number of the any one of the number of people who are who are who have signed the the title petition um 
and whatever it purports to reject about the way the music industry currently functions and to give artists direct autonomy. I just don't think this is quite the same thing as, as, as Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin starting United Artists. I mean, maybe someone can make a case that it, that it is. Um, it just seems to me that there are other, there are other people doing United Artists in a, in a way that's slightly different and more consumer friendly, I think, than title to me appears to be. Um, I prefer this model and I also prefer at least like the illusion of tastemakers giving me what they think is cool um, or what they think is happening. Yeah, without doing like iHeartRadio just to like listen to every to be like, the, you know, have that. Uh, what is Seacrest listening to in Chicago yes. versus what yes. is he listening yes. to in, you know, Louisiana? No, that's like, that yeah. is my point. It's I want I the reason I resist something like iHeartRadio is because it just for in so many ways feels like. <laughs> like a total suffocation of the way the system used to work. Yeah, it feels like the illusion of choice in a police state where you're kind of like, yeah, sort of like yeah. there's 57 channels and all of them are our dear leader broadcasting right. about uh, <laughs> you know the uh, the success of the the farming collectives. This you know it and, feels like the yes. Hunger Games, you know. A Hunger Games. <laughs> where it's just it's just like here's another station that's also playing Ed Sheeran like at this time like you can get it on. Uh, yeah, well like, Beats Beats one is, yeah, is in love with some Let Ed Sheeran. Don't, don't just war- fasten your seatbelts for that one, my friend. <laughs> just the all ginger um, station. Yes, but he, I don't know. I, I just am really a fan of this. And just to be clear, I, neither of us has any illusions about the way radio used to work. Right? Like it's not like we thought radio in 1987 or 1995 used to be this pure. Listening experience that was completely untouched by corporate interests and that sort of thing. Like, it's all corporate. It's always corporate. But the thing that was great about listening to the radio 20 years ago was the that the illusion of choice wasn't actually an illusion the the illusion was that the that the choices were organic right right so but there was a breadth of corporate there was a breadth of formats. corporate control yeah right so it was like different right. corporate different arms of the corporation rather than because they've done studies on like playlist contraction like in those things like they've had like, like that's real obviously um anyway i hope I, alex i hope that you just try it. This is just changed, try it. This has changed you... my look. This conversation. I I now feel that I need to go home and update my devices, and I need to make. I need to see. I need to experiment with this. And who knows? Maybe I'll you know, just. Oh, we should. Enough. We should go. But I. I don't want to. I'm. I'm going to ruin the jam of the week by just saying that the video. I won't ruin it. But I'll. The video for the jam of the week. This week features. Everybody in the video is wearing headphones. It's 1983. Two, I think, and everybody in the video is wearing headphones, different kinds of headphones. All of them are like you'll you'll see them and be like, "Really, you were riding a bike with those? How could you hear anything?" Um, but that was the thing in 1982. Like people riding, like headphones were like this, like portable music was a really new idea, and the idea that you could move around on a bike and, and like have your own little private home stereo situation on your ears. Listening to the radio, or or probably, I mean, I'm assuming a cassette at that point, although in most cases probably just the radio, was a new idea, and it was exciting. And videos were like trying to capitalize on or like advertise this transition from listening to music at home um, and sitting around a radio at home to like being able to like be alone with music on the street. That was 1982, and you really notice it, like the the headphones 
the prominence of the of the of the of a physical set of headphones in that in that video in the video for the jam of the week this week is is pretty impressive, especially given that the song has nothing to do <laughs> with headphones. It's just the weirdest thing. But if you look at videos from that period, from like eighty two to eighty five, I mean, that's the thing I'm going to miss about videos the way we previously consumed them because so much of it was about marking these these technological and cultural transitions. And this totally random Luther Vandross video happens to have all these head. Everybody in the video is wearing headphones just about anyway. I'm going to do the rest of this show in honor of that Luther Vandross video. I'm going to do the rest of this show with one, one headphone on my ear. (laughs) Cause you sound that good. I, well, uh, yeah, no. I That's just my a, favorite recording studio move, by the way. What is that about? I just what need you, a little bit. Are you bit. hearing your own voice? Yeah, I think with it's the, the, with it, the with the one headphone off. Yeah, it's like you got a monitor situation, but you don't you you want to hear the room sound as well. You want to hear what's really happening. That's what mm-hmm. I, that's what I think. But correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we'll be right back. Alex, uh, ten years ago, Luther Vandross died. Um, 10 years ago, July 1st, it was sad. Um, and he was great. One of the greatest singers, one of the greatest, well, one of the greatest singers. He wasn't much of a songwriter, but he did, he did contribute great greatness to the, to the craft of song and song interpretation. Um, but it's summer and I always think of my, as, as a, as a person who grew up, with Luther Vandross, his music in my life. Um, I always think of him as having all his hits in the summer. I don't know when they really came out, but I remember I only hear them in my mind um, on the radio in the summer. And uh, I was a wee boy when this song came on. Um, And I'm sitting in a chair right now, but... You you better believe my hips are trying to slide me off. Of it. You're lo- you're looking for a, an iron bar to uh, put in the <laughs> in the belt sander for sparks. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. I want to I want to grind a grinder. This um, is uh, 1982. Never too 82. much. Luther Vandross. Um, that's our show this week. Um, Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Joe Fuentes. Thanks, David Jacoby. You're all great. Alex, you're the best. Um, and uh, I don't know. Do you want to tell me anything, Alex? Not, not at this moment. I just want to let the, the let this this sweet dulcet tones of Luther Vandross sail me out the door. That is a very DJ-like thing you just said. <laughs> just exactly. to bring it full circle. I'm available. Beats one. I'm ready. That's what that is. It's just jealousy of St. Vincent. Anyway. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or 
Go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.